0: Amen. Praise God. How you doing? Yes. Tonight is going to be fun. Um, man, I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, like Casey said at uh, at the beginning, um, if you are new, if you are a guest and you came in or you thought this was something else and you got tricked into coming, uh, then uh, then man, we are really glad you're here. Uh, what you walked into as a ministry, um, we are uh, we are a very imperfect ministry. We are a very imperfect church. Our God is perfect. We believe He is worthy of our worship, and uh, and so we what we are about is uh, we want to be a community of people. We want to be a family of people who ha- are being changed by the Holy Spirit in our life, a bunch of broken people, but uh, God's grace is what gives us the confidence to be able to come together, worship him, and then go and, and be obedient. Not because we're a bunch of religious people, not because we love Wednesday night worship services and extra Christian shows, uh, but because we're called to be in community and then to go out and uh, and love the way Christ has loved us. So, man, that's what you walked into. So, uh, honestly, no matter what baggage you came into, you might disagree with our theology, you might disagree with our God, you might be angry at our God, you might... Um, disagree with tonight. We love you. We're glad you're here. We think, we think people can belong before they have to believe everything we believe. And so we hope you feel welcome. Uh, and whatever baggage you have, we think the grace of God is more powerful than, than that baggage. And so we're glad you're here. If you want to connect more and not just make this kind of a show, uh, but actually like, man, how do I actually get plugged in? How do I get known? Those little connect cards in the seat in front of you, grab one of those suckers, fill it out, and then on your way out... If you drop that at the info board, uh, we will personally text you, follow up, uh, invite you to go get a beer or go get a glass of water or go get a tea or go get any sort Diet Coke, Diet Dr. Pepper, Diet Pepsi, Wild Cherry Pepsi, anything you want, we will, uh, we will go get with you. So uh, we just want to get to know you and we want to be able to get you plugged into uh, to this body. So let us know what that looks like and, and how we can be a blessing there. Um, okay, so here's what's going to happen tonight. Uh, tonight's going to be fun. Um, <clears throat> so we are preaching through 1 Peter. Uh, we believe the word of God is our, our authority, right? That's what we stand on. That is our authority. And so, man, we just said, First Peter, that's a great book. We just kind of fell open one day. Let's just do this one. Um, and so we've been preaching through First Peter, going through First Peter. Josh uh, preached the end of chapter two last week. And so this week we get to First Peter chapter three. And uh, the first seven verses of First Peter chapter three are awesome. They are rich. You're gonna see how rich they are. You're gonna see how applicable they are. You're gonna see how relevant they are. Um, and one of the cool things about this passage that we're preaching tonight is it is probably, in my opinion at least, one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament, uh, at least in our um, culture today in this context. And so we thought, great, let's tackle that. Let's not be afraid of that. We believe God's word is our authority, so we're going to submit to that. We're going to submit to his word. Um, and so one of the, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to, I'm inviting two people up on stage here in just a second, um, Ken and Julie Miller. <clears throat> and, yeah, okay, okay, yes, um, that guy's actually paid to say that. Literally, that was Matt. He is your employee. He's paid to do that. Ken Ken is uh, our men's minister here. He is uh, over the men's ministry at Christ Chapel. An incredible guy. He's been on staff for 20 years. Uh, before that, he was in the advertising world for 29 years in that, in that corporate world. Uh, but the men's ministry here at Christ Chapel is an awesome thing. Um, a lot of you guys know Matt Johnson. He is a stud. He is kind of everybody's favorite person. If you don't know Matt Johnson, you should know him. Matt works in men's ministry um, if that's any testament to uh, to, to that ministry and, and what's happening over there. Um, but but they're all gathering. What This next Thursday, this next Thursday, they're starting up a men's Bible study for six weeks on the book of Ecclesiastes. And you're gonna sit under Ken Miller's teachings for six weeks on the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's gonna be super challenging. So I would really encourage you, not tomorrow, but next Thursday, to say, man, six weeks, digging in around a table with other men, digging in the word of God, uh, submitting my life to that. Yeah, I can do that for six weeks and see what God does in your life. Um, that's on uh, Thursday nights at 7, right? And then we all do that. So, man, there's a bunch of resources for you guys in this church. If you're plugged in or you just kind of come to renovate, but maybe you haven't really gotten plugged into the rest of the church, man, Thursday nights during the summer is going to be, a, I think, a layup for you guys. Uh, or even college students who are home, chilling during the summer. Maybe you got a little less on your plate, or at least you got Thursday nights open. Um, man, check that out. Uh, and then Julie is his wife. Uh, Julie Miller is uh, way better than Ken, and you're going to see that for sure. Um, Julie, uh, how long have you guys been married? 39 years, which is a big deal. Yep. So need, needless to say, they're old. Like, they're old, and so they're going to be up here. But they're still relevant, guys. They're still really cool. Um, and uh, Julie, uh, so you guys have six kids. Julie, you you raised six kids because uh, we know Ken didn't do much. Uh, Raised six kids. And now Julie also is the executive director of a ministry called Adera, And Adera is an incredible ministry that is um, reaching uh, people who are in poverty, living in poverty in the capital of Ethiopia. They're literally living on a dump. They're living, their, their homes, their lives are built into the side of or on uh, a dump in the capital of, uh, of Ethiopia. And so she is the executive director of that ministry. Uh, fly, you're flying over there next week, is that right? Constantly flying on the other side of the world to minister, to, to empower these women, to help them have jobs, to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, and really continue to develop important to them. So they're an awesome couple. You're going to see that in a second. I'm really blessed to have them. And so I'm going to have them come up here to help unpack. I should also say this. Ken is maybe one of my favorite teachers of the Word of God at this church. He is a man who knows the Word of God, and I, I promise this isn't just flattery. He knows the Word of God. He loves the Word of God. He submits his life to it. Is in it daily, daily, daily. And so I said, "Man, will you guys come up on stage and let's unpack this together? Have Ken teach us what he sees, the context behind these seven verses in First Peter, and really unpack what it looks like? Because what First Peter chapter three is about is about marriage." Uh, It's about what these marriage roles are supposed to look like and and what this shape is supposed to be in marriage. And so so I just thought, man, they are a marriage that I respect. Uh, Let's get them up here. Last thing I'm going to say before they come up. I realize we got a lot of people that you just walked in to a sermon on marriage, and maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, this sucks (laughs) because I'm not married. That is by design. Two things. One, it's the word of God, and it's applicable anyway, so... Bummer, we're preaching the Bible, that's what happens when you preach the Bible. Second thing, <laughs> second thing is this, uh, if, if you are single in this room, right, or you're just you're not married, maybe you're dating, or whatever that looks like, I, I, our genuine, as a, as a leadership staff, as a team, we would never want to skip something to say, hey, let's get a room full of people to look and stare at what God's design is. Let's get a room full of people who maybe, maybe you're in this room and you want to be married and you're not, and maybe there's frustration behind that, uh, or you're, you're curious, why is that happening? or How can I get that? All of those things, man, let's stare at what God's designed for marriage and specifically how those roles coexist, because if you are not married yet, then that is what you want to step into if, if you're in that boat. Man, we, we, I think that tonight could be really, really powerful. And so my prayer and our prayer has been that you would really have ears to hear. And then we would all have ears to hear and not just say, oh, this is just for married couples. And this is the word of God. It is powerful. And it is what Ken's gonna do is unpack that it is it's not just a, some marriage talk. This is about our relationship with God. And so let me pray and then they're gonna hop, hop up on here and we're gonna, we're gonna jump in deep. Father, uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that uh, we don't have to we don't have to show up on a Wednesday night and uh, come up with something topical and relevant. We can open up your word any given night, and, uh, and it's powerful, and we want to submit to it, and we want to be changed by it. And so would you speak to us, Lord? we got a room full of people who are all in different places, uh, different baggage, different experiences in their life, but Lord, we believe um, we believe what you say is true. And so what does that look like for us, and how do we apply it, and would your Holy Spirit really for the next 30 minutes, really be at work, Uh, really for the rest of this night, Lord, be at work in some extreme ways to uh, help us see, Father, what you would have, what you would uh, want us to do, how we might respond uh, to what you're teaching in Scripture. We love you, we love you, we love you, we love you because you first loved us when we didn't deserve it, and we're grateful. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Hey, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken and Julie Miller. All right, so... You, you, uh, you, didn't, you didn't actually tell me it was 1 Peter 3. Yeah, no, 1 Peter 3 is what I want you to teach. Yeah, thanks, yeah. man. Right. Um, yeah, I had to tell him it was a Joel Osteen book, so he would show up and then I would get him up here, and now really... Yeah. Just kidding. Sorry if you're offended by me making fun of Joel Osteen. Talk to me afterwards. Uh, so, uh, guys, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, let me read them. We're going to put them up on the screen. Uh, and then we are, uh, we're going to read this thing. Let me read from my Bible. And uh, you guys read along, and then I'm just going to pass the baton to you. And Ken, I want to hear you unpack what, uh, what you've been seeing as, as you have studied, because I know you have. Um, <clears throat> here's what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. "'Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives.'" calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And then verse 7, the last verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Boom. The word of God. Ken, (laughs) there are lots of things that I just read that in our context, that when we read, it's like, okay, so what does this mean? Women are the weaker vessel, submit, apparently we can't braid our hair, uh, lots of stuff in this passage. Yeah. Take, take 10 minutes or so, whatever yeah. you need, unpack this for okay. us. Um, I could hear the groans. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh,
1: Certain words that he read, uh, they create kind of a dissonance in us. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they rub us the wrong way. They sound antiquated. They sound archaic. They sound like they're from another world. Um, and if, you, if you're not careful, Peter can come across as somewhat misogynistic, like, what, do you just hate women? Um, and he's not. But what happens with these verses, and what I want to do is I want to kind of take them back to their context. So tonight, what I want to do is kind of h- hit you with four C's, and hopefully that'll help you remember. Uh, the first one is context. Anytime you read the scriptures, always keep it in the context. What's been done to these verses is a disservice to the verses because a lot of pastors take them out of their context and they build doctrines around them that are not biblical. And they've harmed a lot of women. They've, I think they've harmed a lot of men because they've created men who are really not living out what God's intended for marriage. So I want to keep them in their context. That's number one. What's the context? Who wrote it? Who did he write it to? Secondly is Christ. Always look for Christ, even if you're in the Old Testament. So everything in this book, 1 Peter, is about Christ, essentially. And so we don't want to miss him. And then third is calling. What's the purpose of this book? Why did he write it? And then finally, community. And that's where you live out your calling. And that's what we're going to see in these seven verses. So really what I want to do is just very quickly, what's the context? The context is it's Peter. Peter's written the letter to who? to Christians. Where? Living in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, all these places outside of the nation of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, and they're pagans who've come to Christ. And that's really important to remember. These are people who were not Jews for the most part. We don't know that very many of them were. They were pagans who came to Christ, and they're living in a pagan culture. Here's the other thing to remember. Many of these people are married to pagans. In other words, the wife came to Christ, she's married to a pagan. He didn't come to Christ. The husband came to Christ, he's married to a wife who didn't come to Christ. She's still a pagan. You can imagine the controversy that causes. So, written by Peter, written to Christians, living in a pagan land, possibly even married to pagan individuals. And it's important to keep that in mind because that's going to help us understand a lot of what he's talking about. There's a context in which it's written. The second part is Christ. Chapter 1, chapter 2 is repeatedly about Christ. Their relationship as Christians is because of Christ. There's not a single person he's writing to who's a believer who didn't come to faith because of Christ, who hadn't had their sins cleaned because of the blood of Christ, who isn't born again because Christ died, rose again, and ascended on high. So everything's about Christ. And he spends two chapters talking about Jesus. So it's Christ. Third is calling. Calling. And the calling in this book is basically as simple as Christ-likeness. That is what he's calling these people to. And by extension, it's what he's calling us to because this book, like all the other books in the Bible, is inspired by God, and it is profitable for us in this century, even though it was written in the first century. So what's the calling? His calling for you, for me, whether you're in marriage, outside of marriage, is what? Holiness. He says it repeatedly in the first few verses that you are called to be holy as God is holy. And then he spends from verse 17 of chapter 1 through verse 18 of chapter 2 talking about what holiness looks like. Your conduct, your character, your speech. He, he says to live in such a way that the pagans around you are blown away by your character. And they praise God. So keep it in the context. Who's he writing to? Christians. Where are they living? In a pagan land, possibly married to pagan people, living among pagan people. people. Many of their relatives, family members are still pagans. And they're trying to live out this new thing called Christianity in a very, very tough environment. So then that leads us to community. Last week, Josh unpacked the previous verses where it talked about slaves. Anybody here a slave? You may think you are based on your work environment, but you're not. Uh, You're not a slave like he's talking about. There were people who came to Christ who were slaves. They remained slaves. And he says, live like Christ. Have the attitude of Christ. Serve like Christ would serve. It's it's their community. It's their context. It's the world in which they live. But he's also going to talk now about marriage, those verses that Ben just read. It's another community. It's another context. It's the area in which you are called to live out your Christ-likeness. Now, I'm going to guess that most people in this room are not married. But guess what? You may one day be married. And that will be a new context for you in which to live out Christ-likeness. That's what these verses are about. How do you live out Christ-likeness? What does it look like? Now, where it gets squirrely and controversial It's because of the words that Peter uses that rub us the wrong way. Words like weaker vessel, submission. That word just even comes off your lips like really bad, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Submission. Mm -hmm. And yet, in the Greek, it's the word hupotasso. And it means to willingly come under someone. It carries the idea of I get to make a choice in this. We read this and it comes across as nothing but a command. Wives, submit. But really what the Greek word means is it's an invitation for you to do something God would have you do. Come under. Now, again, you can hear that and go, I still don't like it. Mm -hmm. Even if I choose to do it, I don't like it. Because you're saying i got to come under somebody. Why in the world would I do that? But see, the whole idea is if you're going to live Christ-like, you've got to live like Christ lived. That's why he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, likewise wise. That word likewise literally means in the same way that Christ lived, you live. Because he talks about Christ suffered, Christ died, Christ gave his life, Christ came to earth, took on sin, made it possible for you to be a believer by accepting his gift of salvation. And so he says, likewise, wives, like Christ, submit to your husbands. So what I got, I've got to get you to understand, ladies, that that's not a negative thing, even though in your brain and in our world it is. It's a wonderful thing. And, And I'm going to give Julia a second to talk about that in a minute. But here's what it means. It means that you are going to willingly come under this guy, whoever he is, at whatever point it happens, and you're going to submit to his leadership. And again, you may go, why? Why would I do that? Why? Because God is asking you to. Now, you may say, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want to. But, you know, the Bible is full of things that we don't like and don't want. Anybody want to die to self? Anyone want to take up your cross and die daily? No. But, see, this is a way in which you live out holiness. When you say, according to God, he says, Submit. Willingly come under, and you do it. And Julie and I have been talking about this all week. And we were walking this morning, and um, and it really the picture to me is you've all watched Dancing with the Stars, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody loves Dancing with the Stars. Love it. I think I've watched it once. But what's what's whole idea? You've got these people who come on who are amateurs, and they get paired with. Somebody who's a professional, and they work with them and work with them, and they teach them how to dance. But every couple that dances, whether the professional is a woman or the professional is a male, who leads? Well, it's the male. Now, all I'm saying in that is that somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to lead, but guess what? If you've got some ex-NFL football player that's leading some professional dancer, guess who's really leading? She is. She taught him. She directed him and she's watching everything that he does. It's it's two people doing life together. And see, that's what we miss, is that when God says, come under, you're doing life as one. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus said, when two people come into marriage, they become one flesh. Julie and I are one. We don't look the same. We don't act the same. But in God's eyes, we're one. And we view ourselves as one. And so we try to do things as one. And when Julie submits to me. This is not a case of follow the leader where I stand up and I say, okay, Julie, get in line behind me, and whatever I do, you do, and don't ever get out of line. It's two people walking hand in hand. This morning, I, I went for a run, and I, I caught up to her, and I walked up behind her, and I said, and I held out my hand, and she rejected it um, <laughs> because it was sweaty. Um, but I said, as I was running, it hit me that that's the picture is that really I'm extending the invitation to Julie with my hand saying, come walk with me, come live life with me, not submit to me, but do life alongside me and where I go, go with me. And guess what, honey, I'm going to take you some really squirrely places and I'm going to make some really bad turns and I'm going to do some really stupid things, but would you go with me? Would you partner with me? That's the picture this verse paints. It's two people doing life together. And here's what I know. I screw up a lot. I'm a lousy leader much of the time. It's true. And over the shut up. (laughs) Over the years, my wife can say that if you can. (laughs) My wife has spoken into my life and corrected me on more than one occasion. Where are you going? What are you doing? You're not leading. You're not a good father. You're not doing what you said you would do. Mm. And I hated every time she said it. But guess what? She was leading me as I was leading her. So it's a mutual thing. It shouldn't be feared. It should be enjoyed. It should be loved. So he, he talks about submission. He talks about weaker vessel. What the heck does that mean? Weaker vessel, guys, is, is a picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's the picture of, it literally means without strength. And it has nothing to do with the woman's mental, physical, or emotional capacity. It's God telling the man, I made her. I created her in my image. She is precious. She is valuable. She is priceless. And I'm going to hand her to you. And I'm going to hold you responsible for her. I have two daughters who are married. I gave each of them away to some jerk. And I love both of my son-in-laws. But I gave two of my most precious gifts to two guys I literally didn't know a whole lot about. And guess what? I am holding them accountable because she's precious. She's valuable. She is a weaker vessel in the sense of she's like fine porcelain. She's like fine crystal. And they better take care of her. That's what it means for a husband to treat his wife like a weaker vessel. He also says to treat her with what? knowledge. You got to know your wife. You got to know how she ticks. After 39 years of marriage, I think I finally figured out how Julie ticks. I think I know what means a lot to her. I think I know that she would rather talk than anything else. She would rather sit and just have time together than watch TV. But you got to know her. And the first thing you got to know about your wife is that she is made by God and has been given to you by God. See, all of these things, if you go through these verses, are just packed with meat. They're packed with excitement. They're packed with positive things. And even when he starts talking about what women wear, that verse has always squirreled my mind. Mm -hmm. What does any man have to do with telling any woman how (laughs) to dress? And yet he says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. And we're like, okay, you just crossed the boundary. What, do you, what does this have to do with marriage? See, his whole point is back to what? Christ's likeness. And he's telling these women, worry more about your heart than you worry about how you look. Because here's what I know. Julie has impacted me far more by her character than her outer countenance. I fell in love with her because she was beautiful. I've stayed in love with her because she's beautiful on the inside. She's still beautiful on the outside. But guess what? Neither one of us is going to be beautiful much longer. I'm still, I'm not beautiful now. (laughs) But it's the idea of beauty, inward beauty. Here's what I know. Women, if you can't submit to God, you'll never submit to a man. Mm. And that's really the picture. Because when you submit to the husband, you're basically submitting to God because you're saying, you gave him to me. I'm going to trust you with him. And I'm going to submit. But it begins with submission in your heart. And really, the ability to submit comes from a transformed heart. So again, all through here, I I want Julie to really step into this. But here's what I know. I know these verses are true. I know they're of God. I know they're controversial. But they're only controversial because sin, our sin, our sin natures make them controversial. Because our sin nature rears up and goes i don't want to do that i don't like that nobody tells me what to do but guess what god can god does god will and he has and there's beauty and there's peace and there's joy and there's comfort in these verses and we can sit here and tell you that because we've been married 39 years and and these verses do not scare me. These verses do not offend me. They don't offend Julie. They've made our marriage what it is, and I think we have a great marriage. I think we have a marriage that's better today than it was the day we walked down the aisle, and it's going to be better next year, and it's going to be better the next year. Why? Because these verses are true, and there's so much in here, guys, that we can unpack and we could spend time with, and I want Ben... To have time to ask yeah. us the questions
0: he's dying to mm-hmm. ask that he thinks are going to stump yeah. us, and they probably will. But
1: <laughs> I'm just going to go back to us the word of God.
0: I love that, man. Thank you so much for that. I, there is a ton there, um, and my wheels are spinning. Uh, I want to hear from you, Julie. You know, I, I love. I mean, I think there's so much richness, richness, in even you unpacking the context, right? Even just little things like weaker vessel. I, I think you're right. That becomes a stumbling block. A lot of this passage becomes a stumbling block because of our own sin. Some of it becomes a stumbling block because we thought weaker vessel meant women are weak, right? We, just, it, it, we didn't realize, oh, it's precious, that this is a precious. So, I, Julie, how does this hit you? How do you process? What does this look like? How does it look like in your daily life? You know, as Ken unpacks that, um, I just want to hear from you and your wisdom connected to, to this.
2: Um, I, I like the role. Um, it is um, incredibly um, protecting to me as a woman. But when I hear what Ken is saying, it really began way before Ken. Because I remember, like at age 13, I was raised in the church. But I remember being introduced to this quiet time thing and growing on my own. And I started growing on my own. But it was very compartmentalized. I did Bible study here. I did small group here. But I dated over here. And I dressed over here. And I did Bible study over here, and I did mission trips over here. But I dated over here, Mm. and I dressed over here. And as I grew in studying the word, I realized that God was inviting me into a safe zone with him. And that first took place. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was 17 years old. I had dated way too much for too many of the wrong reasons, and it was really only for image and so I really used guys just for image, just to say I'm going to do it, I'm going to date, I've got to date Friday night, I've got a date Saturday night, I've got a date Sunday night. You know, and I, I was, had the wrong motive. And so I remember when I was 17 years old, I said to the Lord, Lord, I really need to submit this to you, Donna. I really need to take a fast from dating and learn from you. So I coveted with him that I would not date for six months, and that I would listen to him and walk with him. And, and it was hard, because things happened. Proms happened, dances happened, and, um, but it was so cool. One month after that six months was over, this new guy comes in town. His name is Ken Miller, and I was a senior in high school. Okay. And. uh, The kid was 40? What was Yeah, 40.
1: (laughs) I just just got out of prison.
2: Well, his math is definitely wrong because he's not, he hasn't been working 49 years. But that's another story. But the Lord was gracious because he was teaching me submission, not in the marriage relationship. He was teaching me submission first, vertically. Yeah. And my, are you going to trust me, Julie? Are you, do you think I love you so much that you're going to trust me mm-hmm. to walk with me and that your identity is not bound in what you're doing Friday night? Are you going to trust me enough to let me bring in whom I need to bring in? Ken had to learn submission in his way. But that was a huge act of submission on my part. Um, The same thing happened um, with my dress. I was raised with the Barbie doll. I was raised with, you supposed to look like a Barbie doll. I was raised with a two-inch zipper from Army Navy and the midriffs and all that and the halter tops and all that kind of stuff. And I never put it in that Jesus time. I put it over here in this time. This was my decision. And the Lord really gently brought me into himself and said, You're more precious than that. You're not your own. I love you. I own you. And I invite you into my closet to recalculate how you're dressing and whose holiness is being on display in the way you dress. And so that was a huge submission too. But when I read these verses, I am, um, to me, I kept saying to Ken, it's a safe zone. It's a safe zone to be submissive. It is a, a, an act of worship, of trust, of understanding to be submissive to him. So it never was a negative word to me. I also had a very sweet, great example in my mom and dad. And some of you are sitting here going, that's not my story. But God is the father of all mankind, and he invites you. To first submit to him and then trust him for who you're going to marry.
0: That's so good. <clears throat> That's so good. T- two things as you're talking is, as I'm thinking, man, why do I have such a hard time with submission? Why is that word such such a hard thing for us to swallow? Two things hit me, and they're things that you guys have said. I want you all just elaborate and um, put some exclamation points behind this. Submission feels vulnerable, right? And it also feels like, well, wait a second, not only there's a vulnerability, but also... There's a level of ownership. I'm now not my own. Talk to uh, about being a believer. We ha- I think all of us at some point are going to wrestle with submission, even last week and how Josh unpacked it, then now in chapter three, in relationships. There's even more baggage tied to relationships. It feels vulnerable. Yeah? Yeah, I, th-
1: I think a, a big part of it is um, we're wired for autonomy. Mm-hmm. We're wired to be self-sufficient. Um, we want to be in control. Mm-hmm. And and the whole nature of sin is it's it's you trying to to wrestle control from God that yeah. ultimately he's in control, he's sovereign. And so submission by its very kind of description is I'm losing some control. Mm-hmm. And and it scares it scares us, you know. But it's amazing to think how many areas of our lives we are willingly submit because we have to. So you think about work. You know, Well, you submit to your boss. You don't like him. You think you're smarter than he is. You could do his job better than he is, but you submit to him because you want to get a paycheck. You submit to road signs for the most part. Uh, you submit to the laws of the land for the most part. You submit, but you do it because you have to. See, this picture is different. Yeah. This is a willing submission of saying, you know what? I'm doing this because I want to. But it's still, it's scary because it, it goes against that autonomy yeah. and that lack of control, the somebody's
0: going to take advantage of me. And I think ultimately, I mean, you guys have said it so well, I think it's not, it doesn't work if there isn't a submission to the Lord. Right? it has to come from the root of, okay, I am submitting to you as unto the Lord. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't work if we're just, outside of Christ, just submission for the sake of submission is just obligation, duty, it's lifeless, it's joyless, you know, it's just you're lower on the org chart, but but that submission unto the Lord changes that dynamic.
1: Yeah, and we want to put caveats on it. So we want to say, okay, Lord, I will if you give me the right kind of husband.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's really interesting in this passage is he's writing to people who are living in a foreign country, pagan land, possibly married to a pagan husband, and he's telling these women, submit to your husbands.
0: Yeah.
1: And my brain goes, have you lost your mind?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He doesn't even know Christ. Yeah. But what he says is, by your behavior, your godly behavior, you may win him to Christ. You you will influence him by your character, by your inward transformation. And so he says, submit. It doesn't mean become a doormat. It doesn't mean you sit in the passenger seat while he drives 700 miles an hour. You speak into it. You influence him. I can't tell you how
0: influential this woman is in my life. Yeah, because submission doesn't mean be quiet, stay in the back seat, don't criticize, don't speak into me and my leadership and don't correct. Submission doesn't mean that. No, it's, it's a, again, it's a, we are one. So
1: as I try to lead, I know I'm not a good leader. I know oftentimes I've, I've made really bad decisions and I've, I've taken us places that, that really impacted our family negatively, financially, emotionally. And she, but she's never, she's always gone with me. She's suffered alongside me but she's also been bold enough to speak into me and say things like, you know, that, I don't know if that was the best thing we could have done. I don't know if that was the wisest decision. She's done it in a loving way, a respectful way, but she has lovingly impacted my life even though she's coming under me. Mm -hmm. And and what that does is that makes me want to be a better leader. Mm -hmm. It makes me want to stop making stupid decisions and and I think I'm much better now, after 39 years of marriage, to go to her and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing X. And giving her the chance to say, I don't know. I don't know if I would do that. Or let's talk more about it. Or let's seek more counsel about it. I
0: love that, uh, so it's, I love that this doesn't, isn't saying S- strong women be quiet. You know, I love that this isn't saying, you know, intelligent women, you know, don't use your gifts, or gifted women don't use your gifts, and I, I love that. Tell me real quickly, because I want to move through a couple things pretty quickly. So real quickly, tell me some of the ways that you guys have seen this misapplied, real quickly, and what, what your rebuke of that would be, uh, specifically men. How do men misapply this? Just give us a flyby of some of those things that you've seen as a um, pastor of men. I,
1: I, I think it usually shows up in um, kind of the attitude of do as I say, mm-hmm. you know, um I've never had the attitude that, you know, and I don't think I've ever said to Julie, well, I'm the leader. God made me the leader. Shut up and do what I say. Yeah. I do think there are men who do that because they're... You say jerks. that to me. You say that well, to yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're that kind of guy.
0: Um, <laughs> I get, I, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But,
1: <laughs> but. I. But I think it's when men take their role, their God-given role, and they leave God out of the picture. So... Yes, yeah. okay, God's made you the leader in your home, God's made, given you authority to a certain degree, but that authority is borrowed from God, it's a stewardship, and as soon
0: as I leave God out of the picture, I have abused
1: my responsibility.
0: Mm-hmm. What happens, Julie, if a man does that? Like, for a wife, she, you know, what does that look like, to follow a man that maybe isn't, des- feels like isn't deserving it, isn't earning it, right, and they've kind of taken God out of the picture, they're misapplying it, they're... What, what does that look like to follow that?
2: It breaks her. Um, I've seen many friends, and it breaks her. And um, it breaks her, her soul, and it puts incredible pressure on them as a couple um, to maintain these choices that this person has made. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it puts an incredible darkness over them that um, unless the Lord really intervenes um, and the husband is repentant and willing to step back and recalculate what he's chosen to do, um, it breaks her. And um, I almost can see it in women today through their eyes um, if they're broken. And um, there's no joy. They're going through the, just the movements, but there's no joy and they're counting the days when their last child's going to finish high school, and then they're going to make some mm-hmm. choices. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard.
0: Ken, two sentences. Give me two sentences of what you would say to that man, that person who misapplies that, who misapplies passages like this, takes them out of context, uses it as a, uses it as a club to, to put his wife in the corner. What, what is your uh, admonition to him, your rebuke?
1: Um... You're a fool. I mean, he's a biblical fool. Yeah. He, he is. Uh, he's living his life as if God doesn't exist. He's, he's become the God of his marriage. He's yeah. become the God of his life. So I think the, the hard thing about that, is, and one of the things that I would encourage, is, is, and this has been important for Julie and I, is that even when you're dating, surround yourself with godly couples. When you're married, definitely surround yourself with godly couples because oftentimes what it takes is in a situation like this, it takes men to speak into that guy 's life and to go you got to stop what you 're doing you 're an ass you 're a jackass <laughs> you, you, you are you are destroying your wife and you 're destroying your marriage and guess what we as your friends are not going to let you do that
0: yeah
1: uh, so I, I think it, it takes it takes confrontation none of us like it yeah
0: but I think it 's important man that 's good um, <clears throat> how, how does this apply to singles right like how does this apply to somebody who is not married, sitting here frustrated, thinking, this is great. Like, I want this. I am, not only do I want this, I know a lot of people in this room who are living their lives in a way where they are not settling. They are choosing to submit their lives to the Lord, choosing to trust the Lord. You know, that kind of six-month period that you talked about. I know people in this room that are on, like, year four of that, right? What, what encouragement, how do we find that? What does that look like? What encouragement would you have um, to be able to lean into this, this kind of thing?
2: Well, I was um, sharing with Ben that we have a daughter. Um, and if she was here, I would share the story too. And uh, she's single, and she's 27 years old. And she struggles with this. I mean, she wants to be married. She wants to have a partner. And, um, but we were talking the other day, and she is an interior designer for hotels. And she was frustrated that her people were um, accepting B-quality work. And she goes, I walk in, and I go, that could just be A if you just did this, and if you just did this, and if you did that punch list and finished well, but they're already moving on. And then she stepped into, I really want the right guy. And I said, stay for the A. Do not settle for the B. Do not overlook God's punch list. Stay fervent, the road gets narrow. And she's also a marathon runner. You don't run a marathon if you don't work at it. And she has worked at it. By herself, she's worked at it. She gets up when no one else is working at it. She's received criticism that she works at it too much. And I think that is the hardest in your field, is there are many of you that are settling for B. You're not willing to run even the 10K. And you're really missing the joy of finishing well. And there's nothing sweeter for Ken and I than to be at our daughter's weddings. And they walk down that aisle with no regret. That is the sweetest, sweetest gift that you can give yourself, first of all, than you can give your mate. And I know, I know from my past that I have regrets. But God redeems those. And God is gracious. And I just encourage you to take that fast, recalculate, and think about, am I willing to do a work? Am I willing to do the marathon? Or am I short-sheeting myself? by allowing myself to fall into easy traps that the world is giving us.
0: Thank you for that. Ken, um, what, uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, how do we know, right? I I think even hearing that saying, okay, I'm trying to work at it. I want that. That's good. That, I want to hear that, uh, apply that to my life. I want to, I want to, continue to strive and hold that high standard, I love that wisdom, how do we even know, especially with the context of this, submission is such a thing between me and the Lord, what if we choose wrong? I know, I know it is paralyzing, right, for people to say, okay, this is a lifelong thing, I have a high value, I have a high standard, it can become paralyzing to know, well, when do I pull the trigger, when do I ask the girl out, when do I say yes to the guy, how do, how do we know, how does someone in this room know, all right, this is the one. This is the one I'm going to pursue. This is the one I'm going to. Like, how do we know? I mean, that just seems like that could just keep you in, in park the whole time. Honestly, I don't think you, with... I don't think you can know. Um, oh, cool, man. Okay, so. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> when Julie and I were dating, you know, I knew I wanted to marry her. Um, she wasn't sure sure, sure about me. Um, Obviously. But, I I don't think it's a case where you know just. A, a light bulb goes off and you, you just know immediately this, this is the one, this is the guy. Even if you do, here's what, here's what I tell every couple I counsel for marriage. You're about to make the most important decision of your life and you're marrying somebody who's going to disappoint you. you know, you're marrying a sinner. You're marrying somebody who's got flaws. You're marrying somebody who's never going to meet your standard. So you're never sure that's where the trust comes in. If if you're submitting to God, if you're living in a a godly way, if you're trying, if you're not making getting married your God and you're keeping God your God, then God's going to bring individuals into your life. I don't think God has a person for every person. I don't believe that. I believe God could bring a number of different people into your lives. And at the right time, at the right place, you both decide, I think we could spend the rest of our
0: lives together. There's not this magical one that we've got to find, is what you're saying. And I
1: don't think you sit around waiting for God to open up the door and for Prince Charming or... You know, the princess to walk in, it's, it's you live your life, you serve God, you try to do things the way he would have you to do them. You try to live a godly life and you hang around with godly people and you allow God to bring individuals into your life who are like-minded. And, and I don't think there's a way to know other than the fact that, you know, this person is somebody I want to spend the rest of my life with, even with their flaws, even with the things I know about them. and and it's trust. I mean, we've, we have, we've had to trust God over the years because that first year of marriage was incredibly rough because we had become so adept at hiding things. And we were so good at masking our true faults. Well, the first year of marriage, they're all out of the closet Mm -hmm. and you're going, God, who did I marry? Mm -hmm. But you keep at it. You keep working your way through it. So, uh, I think the biggest problem we have, you know, when we were young and when we were getting married or dating was making a God out of marriage. Hmm. That that's going to solve all my problems. That's our 27-year-old daughter's biggest problem. She's made a God out of marriage. If I could just get married, everything will be better. And the truth is, that is such a lie. Hmm. It won't get better. It'll actually get worse in some ways because now you're sharing life with somebody but it it will get great in a lot of ways, but it's not the panacea. Marriage is not your God. God is your God.
0: Mm -hmm. So I love that. I love that. Um, I I love these people in this room too. And I know that my prayer for you guys too is, you know, some of you guys, uh, that, uh, I hope that you hear that. I, I hope, um, that the, that is, um, something that the Lord is able to, gently put on your heart, because there are some amazing men in this room. There really are. And there's some amazing, I have some amazing sisters in Christ in this room. And uh, and they are going to be incredible husbands. They're going to be incredible wives. But to really continue to say, okay, can I trust? You know, can I trust while waiting for what God's will is? Can I Can I see him as most and not make a God out of marriage? I think, I love that. It's hard, I think, to receive. I think there's probably people in this room that's like, man, that's really hard to receive. And if that's hard for you to receive, praise God that you're here. Like, Saying nice things that are easy to receive is not our role from the stage. Saying truthful things that we think might push you to look more like Christ and love Him and reflect His glory—that is what this whole thing is about. And uh, and so, man, if you're in this room tonight, I hope that you, um, I hope that you're challenged. I hope that even the buttons, any buttons that you felt got pushed tonight, and, and frustrations, and oh man, I don't like that, or I'm, this, I'm I'm wrestling with being satisfied with that answer. Uh, man, take those to the Lord. Also, you guys are going to stick around too. If there's questions you have, you guys aren't going anywhere tonight, um, so they'll stick around. Ken actually has a handout uh, of, of what he went through tonight that we'll put at the info desk, and we'll have more of them over here. Um, just take it and read over it and process through it um, and do business with the Lord. Our job is not to be comfortable and find truth and then manipulate it to be what is most comfortable for us. Our, our job is to say, this isn't about us. This is his way, his will. I want to look more like him. I want to trust him. Trust is really hard um, in every season of life. But uh, I, I feel for some of you guys, and I, 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 think that, uh, I think that tonight's no accident. And I think that even any emotions, you know, that, that might be triggered tonight, uh, man, take those to the Lord. Wrestle with those. See if those emotions are actually a product of some idolatry that got poked at um, in some ways or some, some discontentment that the Lord says, I want to be enough for that. Um, And then the last thing I want to say, and I'm just making this up as I go along. The last thing I want to say is if you're in this room uh, and you hear this and you think, um, you think, Matt, have I already ruined it? You know, like what Julie said, just the grace that Julie spoke over you. I hope you heard that. I've already ruined it. I've already settled. I've already made mistakes. This idea of pursuing and getting a godly husband or a godly wife Patterns in my life. If people knew my sin and knew my mistakes, I've already, I've already, I'm already out of the running for that prize. Um, Man, Julie said it. Our God is a God of restoration, and so sisters in this room, don't leave this room with that lie still attached to you. Our God is a God who looks at you and says, no matter where you have been, what you have done. He says, you are mine, I purchased you, my grace is more powerful than your past, and your sin and your patterns in your life, you are mine, and I will make you new, and you are precious to me, and to the men in this room who are stuck in cycles of sin, or you have gone places that you regret, and when you think about being a godly leader and a godly man, you feel like, I'm not even in that race right now, that you know you have a God that says, yes, and yet I still love you, I meet you where you are, and I will be your adequacy. You are inadequate to be a leader, but I will be the adequacy for you to be the godly man that I'm calling you to be. So die to yourself and trust me, trust me, trust me. Don't leave this room with any level of, I'll, I'll never have a godly marriage for 40 years that glorifies God, that shapes. Don't believe lies. Don't let, don't let the enemy let you walk out of here with any of those lies. Hear the grace of Christ tonight because that is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ Purchase that for us. And for those who put their faith in that gospel, get that freedom. Get that amount of freedom and newness of life. So, um, man, mean, I, I am so appreciative of you guys. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you mind if I prayed? I would this? love for you to pray over us. And then, and then we're gonna go into just one last worship song and then do a little benediction at the end. Please pray yeah. over us.
1: Well, Father, this has been an incredible privilege for Julie and I. And um, Lord, I pray for these wonderful young people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide them and direct them, that you would encourage them. Father, that this message would not be a discouragement, but an encouragement. I pray that they would go to the mat with you. If they've got struggles, if they've got questions, they wouldn't be afraid to go to you and wrestle with you because you're a good God and a loving God. My greatest prayer, Father, is for every single, single person in this room, unmarried individual, that they would make you their highest priority. And that, Father, they would trust you for their lives, that they would seek godliness more than anything else and allow you to bring, at the right time, that person into their life. But, Father, in the meantime, may they grow in godliness. May they surround themselves with godly individuals. May they have patience. May they have peace. May they uh, learn to trust you with every area of their lives, as Julie said, clothing, career, everything, and allow you to do what only you can do. Only you can make a godly husband. Only you can make a godly wife, and you do it by making godly men and women. And that's my prayer for every person in this room tonight. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.